Well, listeners, the podcast is back after my first foreign holiday in three years. And just to give you a measure, Steve, for how long ago that is, the last time I was in a foreign holiday in a Paris hotel, I was reading about how Ken Clark and Harriet Harman were going to form a government of national unity. Christ. <laughs> that, was a, that was a thing for about a week, wasn't it? <laughs> that was the height of silly season in August 2019. A lot has happened since then. But back refreshed, having tried unsuccessfully to empty Bruges of all of its beer, shall we talk about the measures the government's taking to provide security and support for families in the cost of living crisis? I know you've been away and I assume you've not been paying attention to the news, but like if you've not heard anything, it's not because like you've not been paying attention, it's just because there haven't been any. They haven't announced anything? No, not not really, no. All right, um, let's talk about that next week then. This week, shall we talk about the result of the Conservative leadership election? Still a few more days left to run on that as well. I, I know it feels like it's been going on forever, but it's... How can uh, it still be going on? Um, I was trying to think what this trust has promised in the meantime. She's promised to scrap basically speed limits on highways and motorways, because that's what will really turn Britain around. More accidents on the roads. It's entering life in, as we enter life in the fast lane. Um, <laughs> let's then, in the final days of his premiership, let's talk about... Hopefully for one last time, Boris Johnson. six and a bit years talking about Boris Johnson and that's partly because he's such a hard figure to pin down and I wonder if that's because in the context of of British politics it's really unusual to see an outsider becoming prime minister in that Boris Johnson rose to national prominence not almost through being a politician in the Westminster system it was through hosting Have I Got News For You it was then becoming mayor of London and in that sense it feels more like He's almost more like a product of a presidential system, like an Emmanuel Macron type or a, a Donald Trump like or Silvia Berlusconi outsider rather than your traditional prime minister who rises to the House of Commons. What I say about Johnson is that so much of his rise is effectively built around his personality or his how he presents himself and presents his personality. Just because I think I think as we've discussed time and time again an awful lot of what we see as Boris Johnson is just an act. It's exactly whatever he wants you to think he is, because I suspect the actual Boris Johnson isn't actually quite as jovial and jocular as as he presents. But that force of personality, the fact that there is no other politician, you know, quite like Boris Johnson in in the UK right now, and probably, I'd argue, in the history of history of British politics as well there's nobody quite like him means that he stands out from the crowd and as you say you know in a world of you know people who are wearing the same suit you know uh, in a world where people think that all politicians are the same he stands out even more because he has a personality Uh, and as a result of that that outsider thing benefits him and he's able to ride that wave in in one way or another to 
I can't say success overall because I don't think you can say, leaping ahead, I suspect, to some of the other topics, that his premiership has been a success. But it got him where he wanted to be, which was prime minister. And that is certainly something. It certainly has been something. He's not really a, a conventional politician on what people think of as a conventional politician. And it's, it's one of those weird things that one of the things, one of the, the themes of this podcast we've talked about uh, is that sort of authenticity in politics and the way that actually someone like Boris Johnson, who essentially created a persona for himself, seems more authentic than a lot of other politicians who almost were more authentic themselves, but in doing so didn't come across to the public as being very authentic. I get, I get, I get to fall back into one of my favourite discussions now, professional wrestling. Um, obviously, in, in professional wrestling, wrestlers have gimmicks. Like, And there's a there's a saying in, in, in professional wrestling that the most successful gimmicks are you know, the actual personality of the wrestler turned up to 10. It's just you take something that is actually accurate about yourself and you just make it um, the loudest part of you. And that that is exactly what Boris Johnson has done. You know, he can, he can only be that kind of uh, the Boris Johnson we know because there is an element of him that is like that, that is that bombastic, that is that jovial, that is that jocular. But it's he's not like that all the time, but he can present himself as that when it matters because it is a part of him. And that's exactly what, what's been what's happened here. Um, because most people just are themselves, actually, if they're doing an interview or something like that with a little bit of kind of side of, no, we're just trying to avoid any catastrophes in terms of causing scandals. Like most people don't come across as themselves because even though they are being themselves, because who they are is quite restrained. You have to take an element of yourself and ratchet it up so that it's the only thing people can identify with you until to before in order for that to cut through. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I will I will use your wrestling to do a Trump segue in a second. But before I do that, I'm not sure if it's necessarily the outgoing nature that that Johnson has. Yeah emphasized that actually in private i think he, he seems quite shy doesn't necessarily have a lot of close friends but the the persona that he's ratcheting up it's a persona that resonates i think in britain and that is essentially the persona of the hugh laurie character in blackadder or mm. some of the tim McKinnery in blackadder it's it's the sort of posh buffoon on early have i got news for you that's who boris johnson really really was and there was an interesting quote uh, uh, on the the Michael Crockle film on Newsnight this week that Johnson created an image if if you always looked like you were improvising and bluffing and I think Johnson always was a bit of an improviser like the stories of him at Eton uh, acting in Hamlet and essentially just making up lines on the spot and improvising Johnson explaining it as if you have this reputation for being a bit of a, a bluffer and creating that image people don't know if you don't know what's going on or not that's helped him in a similar way it has helped Donald Trump and again Donald Trump a big fan of professional wrestling and I suppose professional wrestling like reality tv and Donald Trump that to ultimate reality tv star again I don't think Johnson and Trump are alike in very many ways and even in in this it's a very different style but they both do a, a have a persona for themselves and with Trump it's well all politicians lie, but I'm being almost honest about the fact you lie. The audience is in on the joke. And Johnson, I think, does that as well. That Johnson, I think, assumes that all of the public think that politicians are liars and that almost 
if Johnson can continually bluff and blah, 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 and lies well, use the humour. And that's why, as you say, that for someone who's so, so shy and reserved, actually, when he's out campaigning, certainly in the old good old days of his premiership, was really able to connect with ordinary people and have that bond with people that most politicians in Britain haven't. And it's very contradictory. It's very fascinating. I don't think we'll see anyone quite like it again. No, yeah, I'm, I, I, I fully agree. I think Boris Johnson is a, a once-in-a-generation-once-in-a-lifetime a politician, in, and thank God for that. I, I do just want to kind of go back to what you were talking about, that kind of like outsider model about how he's kind of like risen up the ranks um, rather than kind of, you know, playing ball in the House of Commons and things like that. Because the thing is, he did to a degree, like he was you know, a shadow minister and things like that. I guess he got fired um, and, and all of that sort of stuff. But but he was, you know, a part of that, uh, a part of like the shadow cabinet under Cameron, I would think it would have been. Uh, but he, So Michael Howard fired him as shadow, shadow higher education spokesman. That, okay, that's the one I was thinking. Um, yeah. what should, see, the, the wrestling trait that I would have to big up is my increasingly obscure knowledge of cricket facts and <laughs> political trivia coming down to the ring every every week with a uh, with a bat and a copy of the wisdom almanac a copy of wisdom hat in one hand and a copy of chris mullins autobiography in the other to be fair i reckon you could probably do some damage with a with a wisdom Al- almanac if you smack somebody across the face with it so yeah that is, no, that's true wouldn't be, wouldn't be a bad bad wrestling gimmick there's certainly been worse death by a thousand cuts a bit like boris johnson's promotion <laughs> Oh, that's an excellent segue. So while Cameron, for, I guess for much of Cameron's leadership, Boris Johnson was mayor of London. And so that's the sort of outsider thing is that in the same way that someone like George W. Bush Jr. was able to sort of go from governor of Texas to the presidency, that's more common in a presidential system. Doesn't yeah. really happen in Britain. I mean, I, I think a big part of that is just down to the fact that we've not, other than the mayor of London up until recently, we've not had like significant like regional figures for for quite some time like I, I struggle to really think of anybody that would have would have fit before we had, had this whole swathe of like you know elected like metro mayors and things like well, that i think the only comparable figure is probably joseph chamberlain who had that base yeah and you need to a- go back to the 1900s uh, yeah, well, I, I think, early 1900s for really to that for that to be an actual thing and meaningful. Both yeah. tore their parties apart in the row over free trade and tariff reform. Christ, that's a <laughs> quite a nice little actual uh, parallel there. Yeah, I think it's a measure as well as how centralised the UK is. Again, to come back to localism, one of our other key hobby horses. I, I think what it does obscure though is what Boris Johnson actually believed because when he was mayor of London one of the first things I think he brought in was a ban on drinking alcohol on the tube and it's a really weird so actually what we haven't mentioned that other or the pillar of the outsider status so is is the journalism so it's editor the spectator the telegraph columnist and as those telegraph columnists writing these talk of, of liberty and how you know, Lanny status the Blair government was being. Yeah. But then in office brings in a ban on alcohol on the tube in the same way that would talk about this buccaneering liberal Britain 
and unleashing our liberal spirit as prime minister whilst presiding over a government that was putting in place laws restricting the right to protest. Yep. I've seen, I think it was Ed West, who's he's one of those thoughtful right of centre commentators who you read and you disagree with all of it, it says, but... It's at, least sense, think, it's at least kind of logical and you can see where he's coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is at least written in paragraphs. Yes. Um, and uh, I'm pretty sure it was Ed West who talked about actually that Johnson should have been more a, a sultan or a CAO rather than a prime minister. But I almost feel it's more like a mascot, really. Hmm. Um, that he, he not, I'm never really sure what Johnson really believed, really, apart from a sort of, well, we'll sort of get into it, but there's a, it's a, it, it was never really clear what he actually believed in. To a degree, he kind of get, gets a little bit of unfair, um, kind of like, um, like attacks on this, but like the fact that he did the kind of like the two letters, right? One for backing Remain, one for um, backing, uh, backing Leave. Like, actually, in terms of if you look into these sorts of things, one of the things that if you're facing a tough choice, the, the the kind of recommended things you do is write out like your pros and cons and all of that sort of stuff. And all he did that was basically do it in the form of a an article, but obviously coming from it from the perspective of like his own political career as well as what's good for the country, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so writing those um, two letters in and of itself isn't a, a bad thing to have done, but it is emblematic in many ways of his lack of ideology because there are very few individuals who are in politics at the level that he is at politics in politics or was in poli- was in politics that didn't have a strong view on that one way or another like you are either you know anti-eu because uh, because you're anti-eu or you're a pro-remain because that like it, it just made sense both sides it just made sense to you Johnson's seemingly swayability on that, given he went through that process, is very indicative of, of who he is as a as a as a as a prime minister, and and I think as a politician as a whole. Um, in that, it's not about achieving something; it's not about doing something specific. There's no actual policy agenda that he really wanted to kind of push put through. There was no grand ideological goal in any form it was just i want to be prime minister because i think i deserve to be prime minister and the two letters thing is particularly interesting because again thinking about authenticity in politics so jeremy corbyn who who almost uh, it was the most authentic sort of what you see was very much what you got yep Uh, and seen as a great strength i think especially by his supporters again, probably modified his view from being the, on the Benart Eurosceptic wing of the Labour Party to publicly campaigning for Remain, however lukewarmly, um, yep. essentially for political reasons to keep his party together. Yep. And and Johnson probably did it not for his party, but did it for his own personal political gain. Yep. Um, the other thing it shows is, yes, okay, for like... Uh, writers and it often is good to write down what you're thinking and it helps writing it as you say it's known to clarify thought it's just for most people they are private missives they are not published in a column which you're being paid a quarter of a million pounds a year for yep um in the same way it, it, coming back to trump again it's like 
In the 50s, Harry Truman would write some terrible, terrible things about some striking union workers in his diary. But they were private and that was fine. And no policy implication or political hit was taken to the US as a result. Whereas Donald Trump would put the same stuff on Twitter without any filter and the whole world would see it. And then it leads news. And again, it feels unfair to bring Johnson back to Trump because I do think they are very different people. But it's just maybe a change in, it's almost a change in how politics is conducted. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with all of that. And the other thing with Europe, I suppose, is that if if we sort of try and take a bit of a step back, if we also assume that Liz Truss is going to be Prime Minister, uh, probably tomorrow by the time if this podcast comes out on, on Sunday, then uh, essentially she will be the fourth Tory Prime Minister in six years. And depending on how it, Liz Truss may well be Prime Minister for a decade, just as Boris Johnson wanted to be Prime Minister for a decade. But... Um, it, it could be that if she has a similar life, as um, similar time as Prime Minister as Theresa May did, as Boris Johnson did, you've essentially got four Tory Prime Ministers in a short period of office who were unable to deal with essentially the, the psychodrama in the Tory party around the question of Europe, around the question of Brexit, around the question of what the Tory Electoral Coalition was. And it strikes me that Cameron and May and Johnson, all very terrible prime ministers in a lot of ways. But it strikes me that I think the UK has been quite unfortunate in that all of them seem to have been uniquely unsuited for the period in which they were in office. So it strikes me that Cameron is the person you probably would have wanted negotiating a Brexit deal post-Brexit. Who probably would have been able to find a soft Brexit, which had maybe accommodated business that he could sell to the Tory Party. I, 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 okay, it's this is also the same David Cameron that took the Tory Party out of the EPP, uh, and it was appeasing your sceptic right before it was fashionable. But still, I also think Boris Johnson could have negotiated the soft Brexit deal in 2016 and tried to sell it to Tory members, possibly. Yeah, um, but we're we're sort of speculating now. I feel like Theresa May was terrible at negotiating that Brexit deal and selling it to the party, but it's probably the Prime Minister you'd have wanted in charge during the pandemic. There is no way she would have missed a COVID meeting. She would have been on the detail and has a sense of duty and leading by responsibility, which meant there is no way in merry hell you'd have had parties in Downing Street. She would have set that moral example to the nation. I cannot believe I've said that. I'm really sorry. Um, I also don't think she'd have called the Brexit referendum because I think Theresa May cares about the Conservative Party more than most things. And I don't think she would have countenanced having a referendum that could possibly have split the party. Yep. And actually, I think Johnson, of all of them, is probably uniquely placed to be the worst prime minister during a pandemic. Yep. Because he's not on top of the detail, as was horrifically shown with all the Partygate stuff. That set a culture in number 10 uh, there is no way that he was setting an example that had to be followed so we talked about a sort of presidential outside the system that i suppose the thing about a country's prison a country's head of state is they are not just a party spokesperson they're also the unifying voice for the nation in a time of crisis yep. but, and, but johnson was never that and couldn't do well as much as tried to be the and, and as much as he admired churchill 
just mass that massive moral failing during the pandemic i think will scar him because and then that's what one of the reasons why okay it was never a pop particularly popular prime minister in terms of approval ratings but the that the country went through such a collective trauma for two years and it then turns out that boris johnson was flouting the rules understandably and rightly was seen as unforgivable by many many people yeah absolutely and i do think you the general point you have there about like the uh basically a series of prime ministers uh, who are uniquely unsuited for the position that they find themselves in just by the context as you say if things had been slot in a slightly different order suddenly britain is in a very different place one way or another and you end up in a much more I don't know, equitable, I suppose, is the, the, the best way to put it, maybe. Um, not necessarily good position, because at least from our perspective, they're still Tories. They're still going to put in Tory policies that we happen to disagree with and we can show have all kinds of negative effects. But as you say, like the worst excesses and failures of each would have been removed. I hope I'm wrong, but I do wonder if Liz Truss is perhaps the worst of all those prime ministers to be in charge during a massive cost of living crisis yeah. assuming she's prime minister as she's in there beholden to a lot of far-right rhetoric to the tory members and the tory right and given the speculations about the kind of cabinet she's going to employ again if you had a cameron government in coalition with the lib dems or if you had someone like theresa may I think actually Boris Johnson would be very similar. And actually, I am that the fact that he's been on holiday this summer is is quite typical of the man because I feel like the way this is going to play out is very similar to how the Johnson government handled COVID, which essentially yeah. is just to do nothing, wait and see if there's a real real problem. Yeah. Turns out there is a massive problem. It's much worse than you thought. Meanwhile, people have started to become affected by the uncertainty, and then the government brings in some emergency measures, which Daily Mail praises for being bold and radical but actually in reality it's too little too late yeah i mean i'm just going to say going back to like what you're talking about in terms of like is trust the worst person out of all of that those options for this this moment in time johnson probably like as you say does does go it ends up being too little too late but eventually puts something in 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 place i suspect may probably actually does uh, but but based off of like a kind of almost like Church of England understanding of charity and helping people and avoiding suffering probably actually moves relatively quickly. The, the, the scale, who knows, but probably would have done done some some significant stuff. Cameron with the Lib Dems, probably enough kind of a, a push either way. And even on his own, noblesse oblige uh, would mean he has to, you know, take into consideration what the poor peasants are suffering through and I must, must do what I can to help and then cut all the budgets afterwards but we'd get through the, the winter, you know. Um, uh, but yeah. The 2015 election slogan the tour is rejected. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, like Truss, I suspect, is very much going to end up like Johnson in the case of going to be too little too late if anything is done but the real danger and that makes her potentially the worst option out of all of those for this moment is that she actually does have some beliefs apparently and she does not want to waver from them and therefore if she's not prepared to take action 
because she doesn't it doesn't fit her worldview, even though it's necessary. That's where the danger comes. Because Johnson, for all his faults, would blow with the wind. Like eventually you'd find something and eventually you end up with a furlough scheme. You might not get that with Liz Trust. And that's the real danger. So we should obviously talk about the hellscape that will be the coming winter in Britain on a future podcast. Let's keep this one nicely on Boris Johnson. But I think the fact we've started talking about Liz Truss, I'm having a think about this. And I think actually there's a few similarities between Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, if you're human me. Okay. So, so one of them is, for all of the talk about Margaret Thatcher that is consuming today's Tory party, actually both of them are more like Ronald Reagan than Margaret Thatcher. So Johnson's yes. more like Reagan, and we've talked about this before, it's the sunny optimism message. So yes. Johnson's all about optimism, boosterism, not really a details person, uh, which I think we can say safely say is the same as, as Ronald Reagan. With trust, feels like it's more the, her economics, which is more much more Reagan than Thatcher. And again, we've, we've talked about this, is that Sunak is the party of fiscal rectitude, deficit yep. reduction, sound money, whereas Truss is, well, should we just lower tax cuts and borrow a ton of money, which is pure Reagan. And, yep. only, and in the early 80s, when the records of when Thatcher officials were meeting Reagan officials, you know, they were Thatcher, Treasury officials very, very sceptical of Reagan's plan. Yeah. Um, second, I think actually both are political chameleons and both are political survivors. Yeah. So uh, we again, both have had differing political journeys, but actually both so um, have had issues in their private lives they've had to overcome and scandals in their private lives and have still risen despite that. So Truss yeah. has an affair with a Tory MP while she's on the A-list and almost is deselected. Um, Boris Johnson has had affairs. So, and in terms of what they believe, I wonder if there's an interesting Times profile. So we're recording this on the Friday um, and it talks about Liz Truss's sort of transformation from University Lib Dem to Thatcherite Tory or Reaganite Tory. And someone saying that what was consistent is this sort of belief in individual liberty and this belief in free markets. And it, I suppose it's very easy to be on the sort of uber libertarian wing of the Lib Dems and beyond that sort of more libertarian wing of the Tory party yeah. as well. I think there was one, this wasn't in the Times article, but there was uh, someone talking about Liz Truss advocating privatising lampposts in a Lib Dem meeting. I don't know how you would privatise lampposts. Street lighting feels to me like the ultimate public good. It, it's, it's like PFI's private finance initiatives. There's ways you can work it. And actually, I remember reading something ages ago, which was like the way PFI's have been utilised for hospitals and things like that. No, not good. It doesn't actually function particularly well. But actually, things like street lighting, weirdly, it does actually work. I, I, this was years and years ago I read this, but it's just one of those random things that's just stuck in my head. So you um, just pay a company to... But keep the light posts and the light posts, lamp posts. Pretty much. I mean, it's not not really any different to you know what happens with the you know the roadways and keep keeping those you know companies like Kier and um, the other one that we got rid of. By we, do you mean Birmingham City Council? Yeah, Birmingham City Council. Yeah, uh, that was uh, that was Amy, I believe. Yeah, Amy. Um, yeah, those sorts of those sorts of companies will 
like obviously like it, it makes more sense to get them to do it than to have your own individual fleet because they will be able to use that for other things which you know you're then stuck with the costs for it if you're in it yourself in your own fleet that makes sense final similarity i think between Liz Truss and boris johnson is i think both are much cleverer than their public image would suggest yes i think i would i would agree with that johnson um for all his faults is still an, an educated oxbridge educated individual and despite the way that oxbridge o- oxbridge operates you don't actually get into oxbridge if you're a complete idiot um he is an intelligent person trust i think the same i'm not quite sure where she went to was she, but she was at oxford too because Oxford too, yeah. So yeah, like in it's it it is what it it is what it is in terms of that. Like the the value of having Oxbridge educated leaders is is overplayed in a lot of ways, but it does demonstrate at least to a degree that there is some intelligence there. The issue is is more the fact that after God knows how many decades involved with politics, you then just end up stuck in your ways. You you have intelligence, but you lack wisdom. And that's where I think the the thing is there um, with, 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 with both of them um, in that Johnson just didn't pay attention to anything that he wasn't interested in and just let things run rampant without thinking it through. Um, and trust if she's as stubborn as, as some of her critics have made her out to be, you know, it, it, you need to actually pay attention to the experts when they're telling you things or listen to other people's point of views to come to an actual reasonable um, position in how to resolve conflict or, or deal with problems. If she lacks the wisdom to do that, then yeah, it becomes it creates a very bad uh, bad situation. But they're definitely both intelligent. I suppose it's the difference between education and wisdom, isn't it? So with mm-hmm. Boris Johnson, it's being educated enough to know the worst to a Rudyard Kipling poem. Wisdom would be not reciting it in the middle of a temple in Myanmar when you yeah. visit as foreign secretary. Exactly, 100%. Yeah. And with Liz Truss, for all that she's now trying to claim that she went to this terrible comprehensive school where she was force-fed diversity and hummus, um, no, actually, it's a pretty decent state school. She went yeah. to Oxford. Um yeah. Her tutor, Mark Steers, who I think worked for Ed Miliband, was her tutor. Said she, she was intelligent. Other, as you say, it's not, it's not a lack of intelligence. Yeah. But I think is it Sam Friedman worked with her and said that it, she tends to, once she's found a solution to an issue, she's a bit obsessed yeah, with it. She doesn't want to move on. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine what's what's that what that's like being obsessed with issues and refusing to move on despite all evidence to the contrary saying you really should move on for the good of your sanity but enough about phil wallace shall we talk about boris johnson's place in history god how will he be remembered other than obviously is one of the most terrible prime ministers we've ever had well, sure. i don't think i don't think it will be one of i think it will be the worst um, in terms of like where we are now, partially just because we had just have so much more information and records that are freely available, and that that happened in real time, that that like future historians will look at it and go, we have no shortage of source material here. So like, whilst you might be able to make a case of, well, you know, Anthony Eden, Suez, etc., 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 like Eden just screwed one thing up big time, and even then, like he was high off his 
high and ill due to medication and all kinds of things which in a lot of ways you feel bad for the guy and feel like his reputation probably could do with a little bit of rehabbing as a result um johnson's had so many screw-ups that were all major and and they're all so well recorded i just don't see how he comes away from the historical perspective as looking at anything like the other than the worst pm we've ever had certainly of the modern era um potentially all time but then obviously there will be some significant things in the in the way way back of some some pms that we even are we couldn't name off the top of our heads who did something absolutely daft and you know i don't know almost got us taken over by the french or something um but yeah i, I don't think history is going to be kind to boris johnson that said in the short term the public image of boris johnson will probably be fine in that I suspect he will be able to um, rehabilitate himself somewhat within the section of the of society that will effectively pay his bills moving forward. He's going to have another telegraph column, column, uh, column in some form. He's going to earn another 250 grand a year from it. He's going to still be in many ways the doyen of a certain part of the uh, of the Tory party. He's the, the and there's always going to be that element of even amongst you know regular people. Yeah, but he was at least a little bit different. Yeah, he screwed up, but he was at least something. Like, and they'll have that memory of "Have I got news for you," which won't necessarily be drained, won't be fully stained from all of this. And that, I think, is probably where he ends up. Falling upwards is only a straight, white, eaten, educated male can. To paraphrase um, the TV show, um, the, the, the Good Place, why do you think I take the form of a middle-aged white man? It's because I can only fail up. As this podcast proves. Absolutely. So I, in terms of his place in history as a prime minister, I think you're right. It is, it's alongside people like... Anthony Eden and Edward Heath as being one of the worst PMs we've had, but also quite a consequential yeah. prime minister. Um, and uh, but in that, uh, just as Ted Heath took the UK into the EU, but was not it's not generally seen as being a great prime minister. Boris Johnson is consequential. But actually, in terms of that, it's that role of being part of the Brexit vote as, I think he was on a backbench Tory, but not his role as a Prime Minister himself, because the Brexit deal he negotiated where, as we've said, he takes Theresa May's deal, tweaks it a bit, turns the backstop into a front stop, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I think that will be judged quite harshly because of, well... The disruption that we're seeing and that we'll we'll continue to see. Um, do you think so? There's, as you say, you, you talked about here. I, I I don't think his public image actually will be fine. I think the booing at the jubilee. So that the gen is symptomatic of the fact. That I think a lot of the general public don't have any time for it now. Yeah. Having said that, I think you're right about his. Um, his position at the Telegraph, he's still with the doyen of Tory conferences. He's undoubtedly going to write a terrible memoir of his time as Prime Minister, which will be almost certainly riddled with... Like, worthless as a historical document. 
Well, I'll be I treat it very much like the collections of miracle narratives that I used to study for my masters. Um, it tells you maybe more about the people who are writing it than about yeah. <laughs> the actual period itself. You sort of get this briefed on the background that he almost thinks he might be able to make a comeback. But I also get the impression that most prime ministers think they make a comeback. Heath certainly thought he might in the early 80s. Even Harry Macmillan thought he might come back to the government of national unity, like Ken Clark in the late 70s. Lloyd George thought we might come back in 1940. It doesn't seem as unique to Boris Johnson, this. Um, but Yeah, I, I, I think because of the, the, the position of prime minister is so unique, like the, it, it, there's probably nothing quite like it other than other like head of government roles and head of state roles in, in the world. And even then you're talking, le- I, I, I don't even know what, 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 probably less than a thousand people that would probably have something comparable worldwide to, to what you do um, in, in the job as PM because of its kind of like relative uniqueness. It's I could easily see how people who who have been in that position, especially ones who have been in it and around that world for quite some time, because when you talk about Lloyd George being in the cabinet beforehand, a lot of his his time was significantly spent um, in 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 government. The um, people's budget, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, when you've got your Ted Heath, I think Heath was like in government or around like the shadow benches and, and things like that a lot of the time before he became leader as well. And, 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 you know, it goes on and on and on when it becomes all you ever know. And you, and you probably look around and cause this is a thing in politics as, as a whole, as you look around at everyone else and you go, God, aren't they all awful? Like I'm clearly the best person suited to actually do with this. I, I reckon I can come back from this because you've got to have a certain level of, perverse belief in yourself to want to be prime minister because ultimately you've got to think that i am the right person out of all of the people in this country to lead us through this exact moment that takes a hell of a lot of confidence a hell of a lot of arrogance and this isn't just a thing i know when i say this i'm not limiting this just to, to tories this goes for labor this goes for liberals goes for everybody you've got to have confidence you've got to have arrogance and you've got to have an unwavering belief in yourself that you can make a difference and that you are suited for the role and because of that you can be a bit delusional with it i think and as a result that's why people go i can make a comeback because on some level, they are a little bit delusional. I think there's a lot of that. I think some of it, there's a, there's a certain subset as well of leaders who lose office very, very quickly. Usually when they've been in for a long time and then never quite get over that fact. So yeah. Margaret Thatcher in the UK is a definitive example. Helmut Kohl as well is another example of someone who um, never forgave Angela Merkel for the fact that she replaced him as leader of the CDU so, yes. so quickly. And then essentially almost spend their whole time plotting to get back when it's never quite going to happen. But I think the difference is that, well, it, Boris Johnson is not coming back because his backbenchers know exactly who he is. So there's an interesting David Gork article um, talking about the opinions of his members in 2019 when he was still a Tory MP about the leadership election and you, you sort of talks about there being a few people who were quite enthusiastic and happy about the prospect of Johnson being prime minister a small section 
who were horrified by the prospect and didn't understand what was going on. And I think a larger section of, of members who essentially just thought that something that Johnson was a gamble that needed to happen. Yeah, because yeah, like yeah. you don't do, if you don't have him now, you're going to have him at some point because the, he was almost an inevitability. Um. I think there's part of that. I think it's also you know when he becomes prime minister, you know Theresa May has just led the Conservatives to was it like fifth in the EU elections? They got about twelve percent of the vote or something, and there was just a sense of almost we just need someone who will roll the dice who can defeat Jeremy Corbyn in an election and. I suppose because Johnson's record as mayor of London, he sort of had that star quality as they saw it to to deliver that. Whereas I think now when you've got Conservative MPs and members who've seen the reality of what a Boris Johnson premiership is like, yeah, like you're absolutely going to have a few Conservative members who feel betrayed that he's gone and you'll still get people who go and laugh at, oh, look at him with his whiff-waff and his making buses out of, boxes or something yeah but you'll have a much larger section of people who will be selecting Tory prime ministers who will go we can't possibly have that again it was so terrible it's never going to happen absolutely and that I think is the space in which he's in yeah I mean I I think it kind of depends though on what you define as a comeback if you mean is Boris Boris Johnson going to be prime minister again absolutely not I I just don't see how that, that happens if you mean could Boris Johnson get back into cabinet could Boris Johnson be a kingmaker? That, I think, is very possible in some capacity. There are, as we've seen, granted it's been overdone somewhat um, in terms of the likelihood of it getting the numbers it needs, but there's been a petition doing the rounds, um, breathlessly reported by Christopher, Christopher uh, Trope, I believe it is, um, about um, kind of like Tory party members signing a petition uh, to basically have a secondary vote of some sort to say whether or not the party accepts Boris Johnson's resignation. It's not going to go anywhere, absolutely. But last I checked, there were 8,000, 9,000 odd names on that. There's 8,000, 9,000 people who are committed enough to, 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 to kind of sign something like that. There's probably a, a few more that are kind of like wavering on, on that issue as well. Could that sort of level of um you know influence on what's what based on what we suspect the numbers are what about somewhere between about a tenth and a twelfth of the the conservative party is that could go a long way in a lot of in it potentially boris johnson could utilize that in some form if he wanted to so he could still be relevant i just don't think he's going to be prime minister mm. Permitted is the word, isn't it? Truly. Um, I think there's a very good chance of that. And as much as I'd like to leave on a note of existential despair, you almost said Boris rather than Boris Johnson. Oh. So should we, hopefully given it one final prediction, one final Boris forfeit, which would be what percentage of the vote is List Trust going to get on Monday the 5th of September from Conservative Party members? 72. Ooh. I think she's going to have a very strong performance because I just think Sunak's played a, a weak hand badly. So I think 72. All right. Tell you what, I, I might do it too. I'm going to predict 64 and be wrong because the other wrestling gimmick I could have is 
supremely bad predictions. That legitimately supremely bad predictions. <laughs> and if you want to hear more supremely bad predictions, then we'll be reacting to the election of Liz Truss or Richie Sunak. Um, <laughs> that's one of those reactions right now. We'll be doing that on Patreon, won't we, Steve? Uh, yes, we will. You can uh, head over to uh, patreon.com slash not enough champagne, where but for a few pounds every month, you can gain access to these unique content that we put up there for our backers, our, sh- our champagners over there. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's all good time. And uh, yeah, go, go and take a look. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash not enough champagne. Our Twitter handle is at no champagne pod. James Cram designed our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram. And Dave Depper composed our theme tune for Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy plotting. Mm-hmm.